Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, that even when the night is dark, you still love us. Even when we don't love ourselves, even when we don't feel accepted, Lord, even when we don't feel loved, we can look to the cross and know that we are loved with arms stretched wide and the same hands that flung the stars into space wrap themselves around us in acceptance if we will only accept it and walk in it. That, Lord, even had we been the only one ever on the planet, you would have still came and died for us. You call us each by name. The Bible even says, Jesus even said that, God, you know the number of the hairs on our head. That's how much you love us. You know every intricate detail of us. And, Lord, if we walk before you and stay before you, then the Bible says you work all things out for our good for those that love you and that are called according to your purpose. And so our job is to walk before you and allow you to work things out. God, we praise you and we thank you for healing. I thank you that we're going to have testimony of the people that came forward to be healed. I thank you for their testimonies in the coming days and weeks and months, knowing that you're going to give them the strength and the power through the Holy Spirit to overcome every obstacle in their life, that they are healed in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 You can be seated. And... So sometimes, sometimes when God says, hey, there are people here that need prayer and they need prayer for healing, sometimes you just do what God says and, right, you're like, oh my gosh, is Tyson turning into some like healing tele-evangelist? No. Just want to clarify that. But when God speaks, you obey, right? Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Well, we're going to continue like I said, we're going, through, we're going through six months of just preparing you guys to see yourselves as a minister of the gospel, because that's what you are. So when you go to your work, when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the gym, right, when you go sledding, you are a minister of the gospel. What would happen to church if we stopped looking to me as the minister and all of you started seeing yourself as ministers, Right? Men, you have a responsibility. The Bible says that the husband is to wash his wife in the water of the word. And that's just a picture with words to say that the husband should be leading the family in the gospel. Even if that means praying together or just doing a devotion at night, your job as the husband is to wash your family in the word, right? Um, that, that's your responsibility. I don't know why I just said that to the men, but anyway, that's your responsibility. Um, but your job is to be the minister of your home. And you know, two weeks ago, we talked about why does God speak to us, right? If you're going to be able to minister to other people, you have to believe that God speaks to you. And so does anybody remember those two, two reasons from two weeks ago? Be a friend of God, and there's another F. Freedom, right? God wants to be your friend, and he wants to bring you freedom from whatever it is that enslaves you. And then the last week, we talked about ways in which God talks. Now, there are a myriad of ways in which God talks to us. Um, but I brought, out, I brought out a few last week. Who can tell me what some ways that God speaks to us? Through dreams. What else? Through others, through his word. Awesome. Now, we can talk about the ways in which God speaks to us. But how do we hear from God? Right? It's one thing, like, we have all these avenues of communication, do we not? We have more avenues and tools of communication today than we had 
20 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. But those, those your, your phone, right? You got text, voice memo, email, social media. I mean, you got all these ways to communicate, and yet communication hasn't improved. Why? Because the real problem lies where? Point to yourself. It's okay. We all, if you're married, you know there's communication problems. It's just the way it is, right? Now, if you're dating somebody and you're in the first six months of dating, you're in the euphoria phase, nothing can go wrong. But when you get outside of those six months, things start to get rocky. I mean, talk to any couple's counselor or couple's therapist. The first six months is euphoria. And then you start hitting, and that's usually when breakups happen and all is after the six-month period, FYI, for those of you that are dating, okay? This is why dating in high school is so wonderful, because you've got like a semester and then summer, and then it's like, oh, we're just going to kick it right back off in the fall. No, you're not. They moved on. They went to the beach and found somebody else. But how we communicate, how, how can we prepare ourselves to hear from God? The important thing is, First off, is that you have to believe that God wants to talk to you and that he wants to speak not only to you, but he wants to speak through you to other people. For some of you, that's a really hard concept to grasp, that God wants to speak through me to other people, that God wants to use my mouth and my actions and my words to speak to other people. Yes, he does. And so in John chapter 10, 3 through 5, Jesus said this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. If we can go back to verse 4 just for a second. Here's what we have to understand. Jesus is talking about us as sheep, and he's using this parable so that everybody will understand this. Today, even in the Middle East, shepherding hasn't changed that much from 2,000 years ago. It's still pretty much the same, and it really hasn't changed. And what they will do is they'll bring sheep. You might have 100 sheep. Your neighbor might have 200. The other guy's got 50. And so you got 350 sheep there, right? And you bring them all together, and the shepherds don't care that the sheep are mingling. Because sheep know their shepherd's voice. And so if you walk out and you whistle or whatever it is you use to call your sheep, your hundred sheep will come and the other 150 sheep will never even raise their heads. They won't even budge. But the other sheep, you'll see your hundred sheep out of the 350 go. "Hmm?" And then you make another noise and they start wandering and the other sheep are just sitting there grazing. They don't even move. I mean, they only lift their heads because they know their shepherd's voice. And so Jesus says that the people that follow me, listen, there are going to be all kinds of voices that try to speak to you and speak into you. I don't care if it's the news. I don't care if it's your friends on social media. I don't care if it's Hollywood. Have you ever watched a movie and just stopped it and started examining the worldview that's being portrayed in your sitcom or the worldview that's being portrayed in a movie? And I'm not even talking about bad movies. You can watch a rated G movie, and the worldview that's being projected and preached is probably anti-gospel. It, it just is. I, I don't care if you're, you're watching, like, some fun Disney movie. Like, you could watch Cars, like, to go way back in the day, right? Cars, or you could watch whatever. 
you start watching and listening to the worldview that's being perpetrated in, the, in these movies, and you're going to find out, wait, this is not God. This is not gospel, right? And they're fun, they're cute, but at the end of the day, whoever's creating the script, it's their ideas and their thoughts that are coming out through that movie, right? And so if they're not following Christ, they're going to purport or push another voice, something different, something other than. And so Jesus says in verse 4, he says, talking about the shepherd, when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they what? They know his voice, right? Like, when you were growing up, you knew when mom was serious, didn't you? Middle name, whatever it was, you knew when mama was serious. This, Jesus is saying this is to the people that follow him. He goes, they know my voice. It's not they might... They might think about it like, was that God or was that me? Jesus is like, no, they know. In fact, the Greek word is E-I-D-O, E-I-D-O. And this is po so poetic in this. Do you know how you pr pronounce this Greek word? I do. E-I says I in Greek, right, in D-O, do. I do. Jesus says my sheep know. So say, I do. Know his voice. It's the Greek word I do. I know his voice. He didn't say they might know my voice or they might be able to figure it out. Or I'm going to make it really sneaky and maybe they'll figure it out and maybe they won't. They're like, like God doesn't play that. Right? God doesn't do that. He says they will know my voice. It's like tuning a radio. Right? Like back in the day when you used to have to tune a radio. Right? You'd go past something. And then you have to go back, and then you'd have to, you'd have to tune it just right, right. And that little orange, my bar was orange, right. And the little orange bar would go, and they said that, and you'd hit the radio station. And Jesus is like, listen, I'm speaking, I'm speaking. Tune it, tune the radio, tune the ears. I'm speaking to you. And so Jesus doesn't say they might hear my voice, they should know my voice, they could know my voice. He says they will know my voice. So I think you all got that. So point number one, how do we hear from God? Point number one, you've got to get your heart in the right place. Get your heart in the right place. Now what is the heart? I'm going to make this very simple. Your heart is the intersection of your intellect, your emotions, and your body. Get your body, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Where all of those come together, that's your heart. You have to get all of that to a place where I'm ready to hear from God. What's that mean? Well, intellectually, that probably means you're going to have to put the phone on airplane mode or get it out of the room, right? Turn everything off intellectually so you can't intellectually be interrupted. Emotionally, just quiet your emotions. You might be angry, you might be happy and excited. It's time to bring those things into under control, right? Control your emotions. Get those things under control. Get our hearts in the right place. Be prepared. He, the writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion. Now, let's, let's just... 
can we just be, can I just be honest? I'll be honest about myself. I won't talk about you. I have had moments and a lot of moments a long time ago. Like, whose cell phone is that? All right. <laughs> so there were days in my life where I was rebellious against God. I wanted nothing to do with God. I didn't care about God. I was going to do my own thing, right? I didn't care that mom and dad were Christian. I wanted nothing to do with God. I was agnostic slash atheist somewhere in there. I didn't really see y'all thought that I was just always following God and I was just, you know, whatever. No, <laughs> right? No, not at all. Um, in fact, I actually, what got my life back on track with God was an atheistic, God-hating professor at Ball State that pushed me onto the right track. <laughs> Only God could take an atheist professor and push me back onto the right track, right? I mean, how crazy is that? So, anyway, I don't want to get into that. That's not in my notes. You can ask me after church if you want to know what really happened. So, we all have, as the writer of Hebrews says, if you're going to hear from God, you have to get rid of the rebellious hard heart. That God won't speak to me, that's just a parent thing, or that's just my grandma's thing, or that's just whatever thing. It's not for me. And I'm going to believe this instead over that. Right? And I don't believe God talks to me. There's no communication there. You wouldn't expect that in a real relationship with somebody else, with a friend, right, who's just rebelling against you and not talking to you and whatever, you're like, okay, well, there's no real, it's the same thing with God. You have to turn your heart and say, okay, God, I need to hear from you. I need to talk to you. And, and the words do not, this, you're going to love this Greek word too, the word do not harden your heart, do not, is the Greek word me. And it literally is M-E, me, means do not in Greek. So me, say me, do not harden my heart. Me, do not. Now, the trick here is, is the way that it's used, because it's used in a subjective sense, meaning it might happen, it might not. It's really up to you. It's maybe. It's used in a maybe sense of the word. I might harden my heart. I might not. I don't know. I'll let you know in the morning. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't let that happen. And then it's used in another Greek tense as well. Greek, Greek is weird. Like it has all these different tenses that can be used together. We have past, present, and future. They've got like past and infinitely keeps going, past and it did it once, past and it only went for so long. And they've got all these different tenses. So he says in an aorist tense. Aorist tense is a picture of a moment in time that happened, but you can't really explain how it got there. Like, my heart's hard towards God, but I can't really tell you when that began to happen. And that, have you ever been in one of those situations like, how did I get here? That's aorist tense. And so the writer of Hebrews says, careful, do not get to the point where suddenly you're just hard towards God and you don't want to hear from him. And the writer uses aorist tense to say, it could happen and you're not even aware of it. Which means you have to be vigilant. You have to be on guard against this. It will just slowly creep up on you. And one day you're like, I can't even hear from God anymore. All right, 
time to get back into the closet, not literally, but whatever your prayer closet is, get alone with God to say, okay, God, I've not been able to hear from you. I know it's not you, it's me. Show me what's wrong. Show me where my heart is off, right? That is what this word means, and it's a process. It's not like one morning you just wake up and say, I'm, all right, thanks, God, I'm not going to hear from you now. I'm done with you. I mean, you could do that. But that's not what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying it's a process. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12, just write this down. You can look, up, look it up later. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12, the, the prophet Jeremiah tells Israel, you want to blame God for all this stuff happening to your country, yet you're the one that hardens your heart towards your God. Ouch. How would you like to be that voice? standing up in the news media because Jeremiah had a platform. Everybody listened to Jeremiah in the country, even though they didn't like what he had to say. They listened, and he said, I'm here to tell you the reason all of these bad things are happening to our country is because you turned your back on God. God has not turned his back on you. He still loves you, but you want this stuff to stop, then you need to turn towards God, right? It's like that parent that keeps saying, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And the child's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And then the child screams because they got hurt or whatever. Is it the parent's fault? No. So the parent is there to love them and say, okay, come back in. Come back in here where it's safe. Look, you can only tell the kid not to chase the ball into the street so many times. Right? And if the child chooses to chase the ball into the street... You can't, and this is what Jeremiah is telling the nation of Israel. Stop chasing the ball into the streets. Only bad things happen. Well, I got the ball once, nothing happened. Okay, you got away with it once. Well, I did it a second. Okay, you got away the second time. At some point, it's not going to be good. And this was Jeremiah's response. But this is why he was called the weeping prophet, the crying prophet. Because he cried out to God and cried out for his nation when his nation wanted nothing to do with God. And they kept pointing their fingers, see what God, there's no God. Look at all this stuff happening. Jeremiah's like, no, there is a God. This is why this stuff's happening. Because you chose to walk out. It's like when you have an umbrella and it's pouring down rain and God's grace is keeping stuff from hitting you. But you choose to say, I don't really need the umbrella. And then you're blaming God for getting wet. I mean, we do it. It's just human nature. It's always somebody else's fault, but we never want to take responsibility for ourselves. It's always their fault. It's always their fault. And as long as you keep playing the victim, you'll be the victim for the rest of your life. It's only people that stand up and take accountability for themselves and say, no longer is this going to happen to me. I'm going to follow after God and quit playing the victim and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in my life. Too many of us want to play the victim. For whatever reason, there are thousands of reasons. I don't have time to get into them now. But too many of us are too eager to play the victim. A hard heart is one not ready for God. It's that simple. If you are hard towards God, you're not ready to hear from him. And it's not that God won't, as a loving father, and his grace and his mercy keep reaching out and keep reaching out and keep reaching out. It's just that at some point, you've hardened your heart so much that... It becomes difficult to even want to follow God or believe in God or do the things of God. In fact, the Bible tells us, and I can't give you chapter and verse. You can just write it down and Google it. The Bible says that rebellion is the same as witchcraft. That in God's eyes, 
when you choose to rebel, it is equal to witchcraft. That means summoning spirits and calling up demons and etc. And in God's eyes, he puts rebellion on the same platform. And I've literally heard ministers talk about that if, if you continue to rebel, you begin to open doors to the demonic. It's a real thing. Why? Because you yourself cannot stop demonic influence. You have no power over that. And if you continue to rebel against God, they will set themselves up eventually. I'm not talking like poltergeist, possession, weird stuff, all right? I'm talking like oppression. Oppression, negative thoughts. Your desires go the wrong direction. And as long as you persistently rebel, 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 you're opening the door wider and wider and wider and wider. It's biblical. My seminary brother up here <laughs> understands it. Rebellion will open the door to the, to the demonic. And yet we want to be so proudful and pride. Look at me, I rebelled against it. <laughs> Go ahead. Because it's coming eventually, right? All right, that wasn't even in my notes. So how important is keeping our hearts right to be able to hear from God and how we can hear from God? Well, in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, Luke writes, um, he says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. He says, I strive, I work to keep a clear conscience. I work to keep a clear conscience. I'm examining my conscience. Is there, some, is there somebody I need to go reconcile a relationship with? Is there somebody that I need to forgive? Is there somebody that I, that I need to make amends with? Is my conscience clear before God? Or is the Holy Spirit convicting me, hey, you probably should go apologize. And even though you didn't do anything wrong, you should probably go apologize just to mend the relationship. The Apostle Paul says, I, I do whatever I can to, now I've escaped me. Don't you hate that? Like when you're talking and it just disappears. <clears throat> Paul says that, I, that he does his best to live at peace with all men. He does his best to live at peace with all men because he wants to keep a clear conscience, as Luke says in the book of Acts. You can just write this down, look this up later. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 tells us, and the apostle Peter says, if you are abusing your spouse, it's very possible God will refuse, your, refuse to listen to you, refuse to hear your prayers. So if you're verbally abusive, physically abusive, emotionally abusive towards your spouse, 1 Peter 3.7 says God will very likely just refuse to listen to your prayers until you go make amends and you begin to fix the problem. Now, there are other verses that make it clear that if you are the one doing the abuse and you go to God for forgiveness and ask for prayer, he will hear that prayer. But anything else, he's, it says in 1 Peter 3, 7, God may very well just not listen to you. That's, how serious does God take abuse? Very. Enough to say, I'm not listening to your prayers unless you start to choose to forgive and turn, turn around. That's pretty serious business. Right? So how do you hear from God? you got to keep a pure heart. And I just brought up the abuse verse simply because your heart clearly isn't in the right place if you're in that type of situation. So, number two, how do we hear from God? We have to still ourselves. We have to 
just bring the volume of, of everything down. All of the stuff that's striving for our attention and all of the stuff that we're just constantly, just everything's loud, right? The phone's going off. I, I, I've spoken to teenagers in high schools at Convos, and I talk about stress that's induced by apps on your phone. Believe it or not, they have directly related the level of stress with l number of apps. It's a direct correlation. Um, it's crazy. Don't look at your teenager right now. So I would say, okay, well, how many, count the number of apps on your phone. The average student had about 85 apps on their phone. One student had 170 something, I want to say 173 or 174 apps. Now, some of you are like, no way. Don't count them right now. Don't count your apps. Stop. But what happens when you download an app? Do you want to be notified? Right? And then what happens? And I'm just giving, this is not in my notes. This is what I tell teenagers. This is what I tell high schools. When you get notified, ding, you have now shifted your focus from whatever you're supposed to be learning to the app. Right? For you to get re-engaged into what you're supposed to be learning, it takes about 18 to 20 minutes to get back fully engaged. If your class period's only 50 minutes and you get notified twice, you've blown 40 minutes of 50 minutes of learning. You're wasting my tax money, so stop it. But seriously, and then if you think that a lot of these apps are socially driven, TikTok, Insta, Snapchat, Facebook, and so on, there's a direct link between that and emotional stress and relational stress. And so now, because, because relational stress is more difficult to block in your mind, and we know this, than, say, Clash Royale, right, or whatever it is that you play, like back in the day it used to be Angry Birds, Right? Angry Birds is easier for your mind to block psychologically. But when it's social and it's a friend, it takes longer to re-engage. It's harder to block, and you create emotional stress. And so what happens if you're on the job? What happens if you're in the classroom? Right? We, we have to. So what happens if I'm trying to hear from God? Ding. Ding. The same thing. So you have to block it. You have to shut it off. You have to cancel it out. You gotta, you gotta quiet. So in Psalm 46, verse 10, Psalm 46, verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. It's a direct commandment. Be still. Be still. When's the last time you just sat in silence with your own thoughts? It's scary. It's like, oh my gosh, that's really going on in my head. I mean, it can be scary. But you, the more you do it, the more you get, you, the more you do it, the more you learn to control your thoughts. It's crazy. That's why some of these, some of these ancient Christians and some of these monks are onto something with silence. You learn to get control of your thought life. You learn to think about what you think about. It's incredible. And then God says, when you begin to get still, I can speak into you.
I can speak to you directly. Be still and know. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners. Um, I'm sorry. Or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and, whose medita- and who meditates on his law day and night. Do you know what meditation is? Meditation is not sitting in some yoga pose and just clearing your mind. and just Meditation is focused thought. That's what meditation really is, focused thought. And so Psalm, the writer of Psalms, King David, says, I will have focused thought on your word day and night. That's where my mind needs to be. I will force my mind there. That's how you're ready to hear from God. Number three, the final point is this, and this is huge. Spiritual sensitivity, being sensitive to your spirit. I'm going to share with you how to do that here in just a second. But in John chapter 4, verse 24, spiritual sensitivity. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the physical realm. Oh, no. Must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship him in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. There is a whole other realm. You're like, Tyson, do you believe in a different dimension? Yes, I do. It's called a spiritual dimension, and you can't see it. And there are things called angels and demons and all sorts of other things going on in the spiritual realm that you cannot see. But you can be sensitive to it and know what's going on. You can sense it and know it, right? So God is spirit, and you must worship him in spirit and in truth, okay? Put, put the bullseye up on the screen. This is essentially you. And at your core is a spirit, okay? And then you, and your spirit is your communicator with God. If you remember in the Bible, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, hey, um, Jesus, what do I, it's in the middle of the night. He doesn't want to be seen. Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit, what do I have to do to, to have eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, you got to be born again. Right? So this is where all of us crazy Christians get this phrase, born again. i got to be born again. And Jesus says, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus, thinking with his physical mind, goes, um, so you want me to crawl back into my mom's womb and come back out again? And Jesus is like, no, no. I'm talking about spiritually. You see, when we are born, our spirit man is not connected to God. And it's dead. It's just there. It's, it's lifeless. Our mind, our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions that encompass our spirit, it's alive. You can think. You can breathe. You can have thoughts. You can act. And then your physical body carries out the actions of the mind. Jesus says the center of you has to be reborn. And then what happens? This is amazing. Think about this. When your spirit gets reborn and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of your spirit, now heaven begins to communicate with your spirit. You're connected to the spiritual world now, and God begins to speak to your spirit. So then your mind has to process that. What does that look like? Here's God's principle. Here's God's, this is what God's given us from the spiritual world. This is what this means spiritually. Now your brain has to begin to process that. How do I carry that from the unseen world into the physical world? 
And that's what your brain does. It takes the voice of God and says, okay, well, how do I play that out into a physical world where it can be tangible? Right? When, when Jesus says, hey, in heaven, right, I want from heaven to earth, I want you to care for the widows, and I want you to care for the orphans, and I want you to, I want you to love those that are unlovable. That's a spiritual concept. Our brains then have to play that out. Well, what does that mean? And that's why Christianity has created more orphanages than any other religion in the world. Because Jesus said, take care of the orphans. He didn't say how, but take care of the orphans. Take care of the homeless. Take care of the needy. Spiritual concept. Then my mind says, well, maybe I should create an orphanage. Maybe I should adopt someone through someplace like Compassion International and support a homeless child in another country. Maybe I should. But guess what? If your spirit isn't connected to God and you're not born again, do you know what you're left to process? You're left to process from the outside in. All of the world's theories and all of the worldviews that get put out through social media and through movies, and you process that with your own mind, will, and emotions, and it gets garbled because you have nothing, and it just feeds. But God says, no, 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 no. I want you connected with heaven through your spirit and changed from the inside out. But the world pushes everything from the outside in. This is why... When God speaks to you, he wants you to use your mind to go, okay, that's a, hev- that's a heavenly spiritual dimension concept. Now, how can I play that out in my world so that others find out about heaven and get saved? So that their spirit can be connected to heaven and God through the Holy Spirit and begin to play out heaven on earth. How does that work? This is how we were designed to operate, but because of our fall and our rebellion, we're now left to process from the outside in, and everything gets screwed up. Our emotions, our attractions, the things we desire, it all gets screwed up because we're getting pushed from the outside in. The inside needs to be connected to heaven, and we can push back from the inside out. And now your mind becomes a battlefield, and it will be a battlefield the rest of your life because heaven is pushing from the inside out, the earth is pushing from the outside in, and your mind now has to fight which is which and which direction am I going to follow and where am I going to go? You often hear, right, you often hear, well, I need to be balanced in mind, body, and spirit. Here's what I want to tell you. A balanced life of mind, body, and spirit is a life out of balance with God. Because if the world and the outside physical world gets as much, say, an equal balance as my spirit does, I'm out of balance with God. A life that is balanced in mind, body, and spirit is a life that's out of touch with God. You need to be so heavenly balanced with God that the world doesn't matter what the world says. The doctor says I can never be healed. Yeah, but the Bible in the heavens says that he bore my sickness on the cross. So which is it? I, I, I've known people that have sat in a doctor's office, and the doctor comes and says, I got bad news. You got cancer. And I've known the person to go, that's your report. That's not God's. And I don't accept it. And watch them get healed. Supernaturally. Now, I've seen other people get healed through physical medic. I mean, through medication and a natural cause. I've seen other people not get healed at all. I can't explain it. I just know the biblical principles that we're supposed to incorporate into our lives. 
And we have to trust that maybe God's just saying, hey, it's just, it's just time for you to come home. You've accomplished and done everything I need you to do, and I'm ready just to bring you home. That's okay. That's okay. You've, gra- you've graduated. Like, you've, you, it's time to move on. I mean, I, I, asked somebody, I asked somebody the other day, I said, I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm one day closer to the best day of my life. I was like, that is a great way to look at it. I am one day closer to the best day of my life. Second Corinthians 4.18 says this. I'm going to leave you with this verse. You can write it down. Second Corinthians 4.18 says, So we fix our eyes on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. If we fix our eyes on the spiritual realm and begin to focus on the spiritual realm, keep our hearts in the right place and still ourselves, that's how you prepare yourself to hear from God. God will speak to you in a myriad of ways, but that's how you can prepare yourself. I think a lot of times that's why God speaks to us in our dreams. Because he's like, ah, you're silent now. I'm going to speak. Right? I know, that's, I know that's true in my life. Um, but to get to that point with the bullseye, Romans chapter 2, verse 12, Paul writes, you have to renew your mind in the scriptures because the natural man will want to rebel against God and his concepts, his precepts. So Romans 12, to, Romans chapter 2, verse 12, I'm sorry, Romans 12, 2 says, renew your mind in the spirit and in scripture. And so I want to encourage you this week, go out there, renew your mind, settle yourself, and begin to hear from God. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. And we're going we're gonna to sing this out. And as we sing, Jimmy's going to lead us out. And as he sings, and you sing with him, if you need prayer for anything, or maybe you're here in that bullseye, that middle part, the spirit, in you, you've not given it to Christ, and so the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you, I want to invite you to come forward this morning. I want to pray with you to receive Christ so that the Holy Spirit will come, God himself will come live inside of you, and you will begin to connect with heaven in a very real way. Let's sing it out, Jimmy. Holy, there is no one like there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me holy there is no one like you there There is none beside you, 
Open up my eyes in wonder and show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in this place. Lord, I pray that you would fill us this week to go out and be ministers of your gospel to love on people and to care for people. Lord, may we quiet our souls and quiet ourselves to hear from you. And Lord, we invite you to speak into our lives. May we be your sheep that know your voice so that when anything else in this world calls to us, we don't even raise our heads. Lord, our neighbors might raise their heads, our coworkers might raise their heads, but we don't. But when we hear your voice, we raise our heads and follow. We praise you and we thank you for your goodness that wants to feed us and keep us going. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Have a great week, guys.